Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have got what a show for you today because lots and lots of things have been going on overnight, believe it or not. Uh, NatWest finally saw sense after yesterday's ludicrous admission uh, by Dame Netflix or Dame NatWest as I call her. Uh, the woman who will soon be probably the scourge of the entire banking industry in the world uh, is now being blamed for possibly ruining the reputation not only of one of the world's biggest banks in the centre of London but also the city of London itself because, of course, Alison Rose is responsible for leaking a story to the BBC, which was then reported dutifully by the BBC, but it was wrong. And it was uh, as a result of a leak of information, which was, in fact, not only um, a breach of confidentiality, but may, in fact, have been entirely illegal. And it could end up being uh, that this woman, uh, who is the chief of NatWest and has only ever worked at NatWest in her entire life, could be uh, actually looking at criminal charges because according to Bob Seeley, the Tory MP uh, who was on first edition last night, she may be in breach of some EU rules which say that you cannot discriminate against anybody from any point of view, particularly a political one, in any single banking situation. Dame Allison spoke to the BBC's businessman, uh, business editor Simon Jack at a dinner that the BBC was holding. Uh, she told him that Nigel Farage had lost his account as a result of not having enough funds in it. Uh, and of course, the BBC gleefully reported that as if it was true. Uh, to be fair to the BBC, they did apparently go back to NatWest to double check that the source and the information was correct. They said it was. So the problem for me now is what happens next at NatWest? Because yesterday afternoon, she admitted that she was the source of the story. She then said that she was not going to resign. And the NatWest group said that they had full confidence in her. I said last night on the talk with Kevin O'Sullivan, this is utterly shameful and she will be gone by the end of the week. What I didn't realise was that at two o'clock in the morning after an extensive meeting that was held once the newspaper first editions had been seen, uh, they decided to get rid of her. And so she went. As somebody pointed out to me today on Twitter, did she think if she resigned in the middle of the night nobody would notice? I mean, for heaven's sake, some of the papers this morning have still got the headline, what planet is she on? Why won't she quit? 
Well, she now has quit, and Nat, Nat West, one of the biggest banks, not only in Britain, not only in Europe, but in the entire world, is now literally shaking in its foundations. It might actually collapse the bank entirely, which is what I said it might do last week. For the sake of her dignity and the reputation of the bank, she's risked disgracing. Dame Allison must now quit, is what it says in the Daily Mail. Commentary by Chris Blackhurst. Well, she has now quit, and it is a shameful episode. Um, but what else is going to happen? That's what we want to ask. Uh, William Clouston is with us, leader of the Social Democratic Party. He will, of course, have plenty to say about it. Got a bit of breaking news for you already. Uh, it always happens as soon as I start the show. Junior doctors in England are to stage a four-day walkout. Hurrah! Another strike from the NHS, Friday, August the 11th to Tuesday, August the 15th, according to the British Medical Association. Not content uh, with doing a five-day strike just last weekend. Not content with the consultants going out on strike. 128,000 a year for them is absolutely not enough. Not content with the radiologists going out on strike. Not content with the nurses actually settling their strike. Junior doctors still not happy. Uh, Four-day walkout. Friday. Isn't it funny how they always do it over the weekend? Friday, August 11th to Tuesday, August the 15th. I wonder if they're all going on holiday at the same time. We'll talk about holidays as well because, of course, the catastrophization uh, of all sorts of things in the Mediterranean is still going on. Uh, we keep seeing footage of beautiful blue skies, beautiful beaches, people enjoying themselves all over the place, but we keep being told by some outlets that it's all a holiday hell. Well, is it really? Are you sure? Uh, we're going to be talking as well to Annabelle Denham coming up a little bit later on. We'll talk some more about the migrant problem uh, and the Bibby uh, Swedish boat, the Bibby Stockholm, which is apparently still not ready uh, for the migrants. Rupert Bell is here to tell us about Prince Andrew uh, and his continued friendship uh, with the convicted paedophile Jeffrey Epstein. And, of course, Jonathan Gullis is going to join us. Uh, he's always got something good to say and something interesting to say. We'll see what he has to say about Nat West. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's Wednesday. I would normally say we've got Prime Minister's questions, but of course uh, we haven't because that's all up and uh, done for until something like the end of November. They won't be back for many, many months because they've got so much to do. You'd think in the midst of a cost of living crisis, an energy crisis, a health crisis, a banking crisis, they might actually be sitting around doing things. But no. They've all got to go away and have their R&R. I don't blame the family holidays. Michael Gove yesterday uh, told everyone he was going to Greece. And he said nobody should be stopped from going to Greece just because of a few fires. I think I tend to agree with him, actually. But let's say a very good morning to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party. William, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Morning, Mike. Morning. Sorry to bring you the bad news that junior doctors still aren't happy and they're going to have yet another strike yeah. from Friday, August the 11th to Tuesday, August the 15th. So whatever you do, uh, don't fall ill during that particular period, or they won't help you? Yeah, um, I've commented on this before, what the, what the junior doctors are trying to do, they're making a mistake of trying to correct a 15-year lag in their salary and conditions uh, overnight, and they're trying to do this in a cost-of-living crisis and uh, the situation where the government can't balance its books, so it's not tenable, and I would urge them to be more realistic. Yes, I think being more realistic would be a big help for them. And also, why do they always have to strike at the weekends? It's always Fridays and Thursdays they start the strike. The last one started on Thursday and went for five days. This one starts on Friday and goes for four days. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure they'll all be having a lovely time somewhere on the Costa del Sol. Yeah, that may be a, just a coincidence that it happens on a weekend, Mike. I'm not really sure. But certainly, <laughs> I mean, it, in principle, it does make sense if you're going to strike. The purpose of a strike is to inconvenience 
the public, isn't it, to, to, to exercise uh, Well, yeah, I mean, it's, the purpose of a strike is to inconvenience the public if you're a train driver, but not if you're a doctor, mm. for God's sake. Why would you want to inconvenience people who are sick? Well, that's what's happening. I mean, that, that, as I say, I mean, I, I've said it before, they put in a, a you cannot, you cannot correct a, a, a chronic long-term uh, degradation in your wages overnight. It's just ridiculous. You cannot do that. What you can do is negotiate an increase uh, this year and next year and slowly try and claw, claw it back. They're not being realistic. They should take, they should look at what the nurses have done. And the nurses started off at asking for 20%. And they've settled for far less. So I think they should be realistic uh, and get on with it. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's talk about the biggest story that the banking sector mm. has seen, I think, since the almost collapse of NatWest back in 2008. Um, mm. This is quite an extraordinary story. I can't quite believe how wrong NatWest have got this. Every single step of the way, uh, they've got it wrong, haven't they? Well, they've certainly got the uh, comms, in inverted commas, wrong. And the they've certainly made grave errors by uh, leaking or talking about client information to external uh, actors. That's a mistake, but I would just go further back than that. I think it's utterly reprehensible for banks to be debanking people because of their political beliefs. And further, I think it's utterly reprehensible for so many commentators to wade in and basically back the bank against Nigel Farage and others. Uh, again, nakedly, because they just disagree with this politics. Mm. We can't live in a society where people are debanked and you've got woke capitalists going through people's records and going people through people's social media profiles to find out what they believe, to ask them, you know, find out whether they want to provide services for them. It's utterly ridiculous. I mean, I, I think woke capitalism is, is one of the most ridiculous uh things we've that has emerged over the last sort of five and ten years and the problem is mike they as soon as uh, an eye is cast over the, the organizations themselves it fall, falls apart all of this stuff um so i you know it doesn't surprise me at all i tweeted last night you know uh, that alison rose's position was was utterly untenable bye bye and then a few hours later of course she goes and it's interesting isn't it mike that the the dreaded uh you know confirmation that the chair the chairman agree, you know, backs you. It's a bit like the football manager's chairman <laughs> backing the manager, you know, and about five hours later she goes. Yeah, except that in the, dif the dis difference, I suppose, between that and football is that usually in football, you say we've got the, you know, you've got the full backing of, of, the, of the owners and all the rest of it. And then normally mm. there's another loss or something or they lose the next game and then he's gone. But in this case, I was absolutely aghast yesterday when I saw Nat West's statement that she had admitted mm. being the person who leaked the story to mm. Simon Jack, the BBC business correspondent. The fact mm. that they then said when they were asked by the BBC if this story was good to go and they said, yes, it was. And the fact that they mm. then said they still had confidence in her, despite the fact that not only has she breached the confidentiality of a client, but potentially she may have broken the actual law. How can you have confidential? How can you have confidence in someone that's breached confidentiality of a client? It's just a no. It's it's, it's completely ridiculous. Well, it's fundamental. Chair, actually, surely it's fundamental to the running of a bank, which is that you don't yeah. go around telling people uh, secrets about other people's bank accounts. Totally. That's 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 a major mistake. And I think the FCA should have a look at that, actually. And certainly in theory, uh, political belief is is protected under the act. So, you know, I think there are so many errors here. And the problem is, go back to the source. We know what the source is, Mike. The source is that we've got institutional capture. We've got it's not just the banks. It's the Church of England. It's local authorities. It's government, all sorts of agencies all over the place. 
have forgotten what their core role is. The core role of a bank is to provide you with banking services. It's not to go swooping and snooping into people's uh, political beliefs like the Stasi. It's like East Germany. And it's got to stop. And mm. as I say, I've been disappointed by this story. It's not. It was the reaction of so many others, actually, that waded in. I have disagreements with Nigel Farage on one or two matters, but I think it was utterly reprehensible for someone to be debanked because of their political opinions. And by the way... Well, this but that's, but that's also the part that's illegal because apparently there is an EU law, which maybe not those of us who, who don't know that uh, mm. minutiae of EU law uh, don't know about, but apparently it is illegal to debank somebody for the, uh, because you don't like their politics. Well, it's, a, it's illegal under UK law because it breaches the Equality Act, Mike, because the Equality Act uh, protects uh, personal beliefs. So, you know, the whole thing is ridiculous. And always, rem, rem, you know, we've got to remind ourselves that NatWest is owned by partly by us, 39%. We ba bailed this bank out in the banking crisis in 08. Uh, we own, nine, you know, 39% of it. And I would say, you know, since the, I mean, on Brexit, the majority mainstream position in this country was to leave the EU. Uh, it seems ridiculous to, to for a bank that was supported by that public to go around rooting around people's uh, political opinions mm. and cancelling them. Mm. And, and coots, this is the ridiculous thing. This is what, at the heart of this, the basic problem with this, Mike, is woke capitalism is inherently dishonest, basically. This, coots is an exclusive bank, a very, very exclusive bank, and it's pretending that it's inclusive. And it ain't inclusive. No. And the ridiculous Coots, you know, reputational risk committee has basically trashed its reputation. Yes. And that was a reputational committee set up entirely and utterly uh, by Dame Alison Rose. It was her committee. And when she said exactly. originally, and what I'm mostly perturbed about is the conduct of NatWest throughout this whole investigation. Because first of all, uh, they leak a story to the BBC, which turns out not to be true. Um, mm. They they pretend basically that that she had nothing to do with the decision, which is clearly wrong. Uh, they mm. pretended as well that she had nothing to do with the committee and that the views mm. of the committee were nothing to do with her. Also wrong. They then uh, reveal that basically, um, uh, you know, they, they, there has been somebody who has said something to someone, but she puts out a statement apologising to Nigel Farage without mentioning that she's the source. A week later, she yeah. then admits to being the source. I mean, the whole thing stinks of, of complete that's, and utter incompetence and, and, and uh, diversionary tactics. That's just normal incompetence. But what I'm really concerned about for the public's sake is what is underneath this. What's underneath it, and you only need to look at the various MEPs and other people that were debanked and their families that were debanked because banks didn't like what they were saying. Underneath this, there are probably tens of thousands of people who've, who've had their bank accounts arbitrarily removed. Mm. And remember, I mean, again, I have differences with, with Reform UK and Reclaim, and, but you speak to those parties, they were political parties that found it very, very difficult to get bank accounts. Yeah. That is a ridiculous situation in a democracy. And I think the FCA should look at it. And if necessary, I mean, I know the government acted reasonably quickly, but the Tories, you know, they, I mean, they're, it's on their watch, all this stuff. Yeah. And what they what they tend to do is react when things go wrong. It would be nice if they put laws in place to stop this happening in the first place.
Well, they're supposed to be putting laws in place, but I'm not sure that they ever will, because at the end of the mm. day, uh, you know, the government says they're going to do an awful lot of things, which they end up not actually doing. But the question a lot of people are asking me is how much of a payoff will she get? Uh, will she receive uh, some kind of remuneration um, as, a, as, as, a, uh, uh, as a compensation for being fired? I mean, I personally don't think she should, and I think we should have a say in that, given that we own a third of the bank. Well, it's our money, Mike. Yeah, it's our money, and and I think this is another scandal that's gone on for years. Uh, you know, the the remuneration committees, the remcoms have up to uh, the you know the salaries of these executives for years and years and years, and you get you end up earning millions and millions of pounds a year for not doing a very good job. Uh, you know, which isn't right, but but that that's at the heart of it, Mike. You know, this is the whole point. You ask yourself why. Uh, woke is so popular among you know and, and you know diversity inclusion initiatives are so popular among these large organizations now, i'll tell you why mike it's because it's a very good way of distracting attention away from inequality and uh you know these massive uh, pay rises they get and and let's talk about rainbow flags and rainbow laces this week and not and just hopefully you'll ignore the fact that i'm paid five million quid and i don't do a very good job but shouldn't this then be a wake-up call to the woke, if you, if you will, on the basis that, you know, you can't hide behind, you know, diversity and inclusion. You can't hide behind rainbow flags and gender-neutral toilets. If you don't do your job, you shouldn't be allowed to do it. And they need to get people in. This woman was hired, having only ever worked at NatWest. She's only ever had one job in her life. She went to NatWest when she was in her early 20s after university, uh, and she's never been anywhere else, right? She was appointed, uh, I think, in 2019 or 2018, in order to salvage the reputation of the bank, to make it more diverse, to make it more inclusive, to make it less sexist. Nothing to do with banking, everything to do with wokery. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is everywhere, Mike. I mean, it literally is everywhere. Everything is about comms, and everything's about posturing. Um, and so many organisations have forgotten what their core function is. I mean, I actually, fo- you know, I, I follow a there's a very large, I won't name it, but there's a very large corporation, a global corporation, which I I, I follow. And it, and you, if you look at their annual reports, there's a section in it which says uh, political and charitable contributions, nil. And it says nil every single year. And it's a very successful company and they just carry on doing what they what they do and they don't need to get into any of this. Right. I think we should get back to a situation where core functions in government and in these other organisations are the prime order. Absolutely right. More bad news for Alison Rose, even as we speak. She's apparently immediately going to step down from two major Downing Street roles. And this again tells you more about the way that the wokists kind of inveigle their way into every single aspect of our lives. Um, The now former CEO of NatWest apparently uh, was a top advisor uh, to the Energy Efficiency Task Force, which is in the net zero department, believe it or not. And she was also Mm. a member of the Prime Minister's Business Council. Well thank, God. well, thank God she's no longer doing those two roles either. Uh, she's stepping down from both of those, quite right too. More from William Pluston and myself coming next on Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Just some breaking news that we told you about uh, just a moment ago. 
Uh, Alison Rose, Dame Alison Rose, of course, the Dame of Nat West, is going to step down from two major Downing Street roles. She's already uh, resigned from her role as CEO of Nat West. Uh, she's now also uh, resigned from her role as a part of the Energy Efficiency Task Force within the Net Zero Department, uh, where she was appointed in February. And she's also resigned as a member of the Prime Minister's Business Council just last week. But it does go to show uh, what we are up against. I mean, Rishi Sunak yesterday tweeted out uh, after the Daily Mail's investigation uh, into some dodgy law firms and how they help illegal asylum seekers coming to this country to stay here. Uh, amongst the re revelations today, uh, some of the lawyers' offices saying, I can help you find a wife so you'll be able to stay in Britain. Well, marvellous. Uh, well, now the Bar Council uh, is in trouble because the Bar Council hit out at Rishi Sunak uh, because he was having a go at the Labour Party, uh, accusing him of politicising um, the, the, the business of the law. We're talking to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party. Uh, and once again, William, I have to say, uh, it looks as though another sort of lefty establishment uh, organisation uh, is piping up to have a go at the Conservative Party Prime Minister. Yeah, I would call them progressives rather than lefties, uh, being on the economic my left myself. But yeah, no, I mean, Sunak was quite right to speak up um, because, and I think the Bar Council is wrong to call, to call him out for speaking yeah. up because effectively you've got some bent uh, solicitors who are tutoring people uh, and fabricating evidence mm. to get them into to the country. And, and I think that's just reprehensible. It's not news, Mike. Anyone that's been well informed about this, well, this has been going on for many, many well, years. Well, I've been saying it for, for years that this is what's been yeah. going on. That You know, everybody knows that there are charities, uh, there mm. are uh, non-governmental organisations, NGOs. Uh, there are also lawyers who are helping these people come here illegally and helping them to stay here. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, actually, if you look at the Daily Mail's investigation, you look at the footage, um, the... the the people were advised to, you know, fabricate marriages or political uh, affiliation. Yeah, or depression. In India. Yeah. But in fact, there's a, there's a more economical way that you could do it, which is just, uh, you know, advise your client to, to, to say they're gay. Yeah. Because actually on that basis, under the existing rules, anyone, I mean, there's so many countries around the world, Mike, uh, you know, the, so many African countries, a lot of Asian countries, mm. gay rights are not a thing. And, you know, you can qualify on that. Um, so if we keep these protocols in place, these outdated post-war protocols, we will have basically an open door to this sort of thing, uh, which is why in the SDP anyway, we argue that you've got to look at them and remove them yeah. and get a grip. Well, exactly right. It will come as no surprise to you, of course, that the man uh, who made the comments from the Bar Council, who's the Vice Chairman, Sam Townend, KC, uh, is a former mm. Labour Party candidate uh, and a former right. councillor for the Labour Party in Lambeth. He ran uh, as Labour MP for Reigate in 2005 and then again for Bristol North West in 2010, losing both mm. times. But, you know, since when did all of our kind of um, establishment organisations like the Bar Council, like the banks like the civil service, suddenly become uh, these kind of woke, and I'm going to say lefty, even though I know you're going to object to it, woke sort of lefty champagne socialist types um, who seem to think that every Tory is, is an evil Tory and an evil individual, and they must instead absolutely uh, crusade for get Labour into power. I can't wait for Labour to be the next government because they're going to be useless, and I'm going to wait and see what these people have to say about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I've said before that, you know, 18 months into, I mean, Labour possibly probably will win the next election somehow. And, um, you know, 18 months into their 
term of office, I think they're going to be desperately unpopular because they won't make any progress. In fact, I think certain things will go backwards. They will. Uh, yeah, I mean, but at the, at the root of this, why has this happened? Well, because the people, people, activists have got into organizations and view the organization as a vehicle for their activism, mm. not for a vehicle for doing what the primary purpose of the thing is. Right. And this is happening everywhere. You know, I, I believe it or not, I'm, I'm, I occasionally attend church. I'm not a believer, but I, I attended an Anglican church in central London about three weeks ago, about three months ago. And I couldn't believe what I saw. You know, you might have a sort of form of worship or whatever. No, it was, it was about activism. Mm. And, it, I, and I'm not making this up, Mike. At the end of the service, they had a series of announcements about various activities, one of which included where you could pick up your placard to campaign for net zero. I mean, I'm not joking. This, this is, you know, I, you know, I thought Dear we might. God. Honestly, it's I'm not literally. making it up. And I, I said to Rod Little, I mentioned to Rod Little about it. And he, and he said, well, I'm not surprised at all this is happening. Yeah. You know, and and it was, I'll find another church, you know. Unbelievable. Well, we never got to it, but I should mention before we go, uh, this latest NHS uh, ridiculousness, mm. which is the mm. uh, gratitude ponchos. I don't know whether you've saw, seen this in the Telegraph yeah. this morning. And a, a strategic advisor to NHS Horizons has decided this is a great way for people in the NHS to appreciate each other, uh, where they wear these ponchos with things mm. written on them. Uh, we sort of had a little joke about it with Kevin O'Sullivan this morning. So if we did it around mm. here, people would not be writing uh, very nice things on the poncho. They'd be writing <laughs> sort of, you know, insults on it, just because that's what we we should be doing but it's pathetic you know just again get on with your job help sick people make them better don't keep congratulating yourself on how brilliant you are yeah when i see stories like that i always sort of scratch my head and wonder how did this country win a world war you yeah know, contribute to winning a world war? It's, it's unbelievable it seems to me that the the things that mentors should be uh, showing people is fortitude strength uh, duty, mm. you know these vir these are virtues, and instead we're concentrating on writing nice little messages and cheering people up uh, with the, these sort of gimmicks. And I, I noticed actually that this one didn't last very long. But remember, Mike, at the root of this, taxpayers are paying for this nonsense. Of course they are. Absolutely disgraceful. William, great to talk to you as ever. William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party there, uh, with some wise words. Tony in Liverpool says, Nigel Farage should seek an apology from Sir Chris Bryant for abusing parliamentary privilege to tell lies. Well, that's another apology we could be looking forward to. There's been a lot of apologies this week, uh, not least from NatWest, not least from Coots, not least from the BBC. Uh, we're not going to apologise for anything because we don't get things that wrong. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk TV, the place to be for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Rod says this, Mike, Dame Rose no longer advises the government, so our left-leaning government is hiring leftist advisers to help form and run government policy. This is so serious, I can't believe you guys aren't calling this out. Well, what do you think we're doing? We just have called it out. It's a huge indictment and revelation as to our political reality. Uh, oh, my God, says Rod. Well, this is exactly what I'm saying. You know, there is a department for net zero, which shouldn't exist in the first place, certainly shouldn't exist in any conservative government. Uh, Rishi Sunak yesterday suggested that he might be moving a little bit further away from the net zero targets than he was doing perhaps when he became prime minister. But by all means, um, be absolutely and utterly flabbergasted. But don't be too flabbergasted because this is how the establishment works works. 
They get these people in, then they suddenly get another job in a quango. They get paid another 200,000 for doing one day a week at that. It's a whole racket that they're running. And what we now know uh, is that the establishment in this country is not conservative, is not right-leaning. It's entirely champagne socialists all the way. This woman lives in Highgate, one of the most expensive parts of London. She's no longer the boss at NatWest. She's resigned. But she shouldn't be the only one. And I think what we need is a root and branch clear out of all of these organisations which are clearly honeycombed with Remainers, uh, with leftists, with people who don't like the ordinary working men and women of this country. It's an absolute disgrace. And just to add insult to injury and to pour uh, petrol on the fire, let's talk now about a solicitor by the name of Rashid Khan. He's from a company called Rashid and Rashid. Um, here he is talking on a secret camera about how to get into this country illegally. No, he's apparently escaped, so we can't actually play that. Never mind, we'll come back to that. Dr Mike Jones is here, Executive Director of Migration Watch UK. Mike, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. Shocking revelations yesterday in the Daily Mail, picked up on by Rishi Sunak and by Samela Braverman. Um, it now looks as though the second instalment is actually worse than the first, because we've got them now saying today, advising people on how we can find you a wife so that you can stay in this country, uh, no matter what uh, the, gov the government and the Home Office want to do. Yeah, it's one of the most uh, shocking uh, cases I've read about in recent years. Uh, essentially, you have, you know, shysters, rogue solicitors mm. uh, the course of justice and pocketing huge sums of cash in the process by concocting bogus asylum claims. And, you know, it, it, it's diabolical. Mm. Uh, but but as, as you said, you know, previously, Mike, the writing has been on the wall for a while. You know, in 2020, we had the Malik and Malik case. This uh, solicitor's firm... Uh, filed a number of bogus asylum claims. They were fined, but uh, they still operate as a law firm. Uh, you know, James Hanrity, a former immigration judge, and he's very sympathetic to the plight of asylum seekers. But even Hanrity said, you know, he came across appellants who are clearly being coached uh, by solicitors to, you know, lie about their nationality, their mm -hmm. age, sexual orientation. Yeah. You know, this is big business. It's it's a, it's a racket and clearly it's more widespread than what we previously thought. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't that surprised when I saw the story. I was shocked at the, the, the sort of nature of what they were, uh, how far they were going to break the law. Uh, but let's go have a look. I think we now have the clip. Uh, this is Rashid Khan, a solicitor from Rashid and Rashid, who basically is telling um, an undercover reporter from the Daily Mail about how they should make up a problem uh, that he may face in his home country of India. The case we're going to put for him the human rights application on the basis of the family in this country plus asylum. Asylum? Because he entered illegally in this country. So there's a story here, right? There's a story here. What is the story? Is there a story? No, there's a story. There's a story. There's a story. There's so that's the idea. If you haven't got a good story, make one up. If you're not uh, able to allege that you can come here legally, um, just concoct a reason uh, why you can't be sent home. 
And in a way, as much as these people are despicable uh, for, for ripping, up, ripping the country off, I'm also slightly sort of surprised, shall we say, that the Home Office is so gullible, you know, because it seems to me that all you have to say to them is, well, I'm gay and I can't go home because I'll get killed. And they go, oh, OK, then here's a house in Slough for you. Well, I, I agree. And one of the uh, the solicitors um, was recorded as describing Suella Braverman as dumb. Yeah. But, you know, sort of paradoxically, they claimed that their firm had a good reputation with the Home Office. So there's, you know, sort of Janus-faced nature to this. Mm. But, but in that clip that you just showed, they're referring to a, a Sikh separatist movement, uh, the, the Khalistani movement, and the undercover reporter claimed to be a farmer from Punjab region. And it wasn't just one solicitor. Several of these solicitors um, gave the same false narrative. They yes. said, you know, you've, you've got to be a, uh, a victim of political oppression. You, you support the Sikh separatist movement. You've been oppressed by the Indian authorities. And this is how we're going to get you asylum. And what that, that suggests to me is that these these lawyers are, are skilled in concocting these mm. these false claims and they, they know how to fine tune the narrative uh, to get an economic migrant an asylum status. Right. And the interesting thing as well here is that if they are charging all of this money, um, who's paying for that? Where are they getting the fees from? Because presumably some of these migrants won't always be in a, in a position to pay £10,000 to get into the country illegally. So so who's paying it? I mean, historically, a lot of these uh, cases have been paid for by by legal aid. Right. Uh, so obviously it's um, the British taxpayer. So you come to this country illegally, uh, you find that you can't stay because your story isn't good enough. You go to a dodgy lawyer, uh, get legal aid, and the lawyer gets rich and you get to stay. Yeah, it's perverse incentives. And as you say, you know, Unbelievable. These, well, yeah, I mean, these rogue lawyers uh, living the life of Riley, uh, they have multi-million pound properties, they have property portfolios, they drive flash cars, they send their kids to elite private schools, and yet they're profiting off, you know, sort of unscrupulous and bogus uh, claims. Mm. Uh, it's a complete racket. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, we're told that some of the lawyers in these uh, undercover videos have since been fired. But I mean, I don't understand whether or not they've been disbarred. Or there's no information on that. So there's nothing to stop them, really, setting up shop somewhere else, is it? Well, we don't have enough information at the moment. But what I will say, Mike, is that the, the laws are too lax at the moment. I mean, an, uh, an immigrant can actually go to prison for making a false asylum claim. Hmm for giving false information to the authorities. Uh, a rogue solicitor uh, can be struck off, but they can't actually face criminal prosecution. Right. And I think that's got to change. Well, it has. And if I were the Home Office, I'd be going back through these law firms' cases to see precisely who they represented and to see whether those people actually should be revisited, perhaps, and re-examined um, and reinvestigated. Well, I mean, the Daily Mail has actually written a follow-up article to this, and one of the, the rogue lawyers, uh, I believe he's called um, uh, Mr. VP Ling Joffe. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, he represented many clients previously, and judges described the cases as, uh, you know, strange. 
I mean, I've so, got I've got a um, a note here from somebody on Twitter who says Rashid and Rashid have recently opened new offices right by South Wimbledon Station. They have four commercial units on the high street, and they openly advertise asylum claims in their windows. They should lose their license. They are fleecing us taxpayers. I mean, it shouldn't be possible to set up a law firm and exist purely and simply on legal aid um, money uh, and make yourself rich on it. Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know. It, it, it's perverting the course of justice. It's a racket. It imposes a cost on the British taxpayer, um, and it just undermines the the integrity of of the the asylum system. Yeah. And it's just one part of a system that just is so hopelessly broken that I don't know whether they can even fix it. Because what we know is there are one hundred seventy thousand cases a backlog in this country of people who have come here who are claiming asylum. Now it may well be that all of them should be rejected. But even if they are rejected, there's no possible way at the moment for them to be sent anywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a, a legalistic culture of litigation in the UK. I mean, much of this emerged from the passing of the Human Rights Act in 1998, which enshrined the European Convention of Human Rights into British law. Obviously, we've been members of the Council of Europe before that, and yeah. they're subject to the European Court of Human Rights. But... You know, uh, you know, chickens come home to roost, and there's a legal architecture that allows um, rogue lawyers uh, to flourish and to pervert the course of justice. Yeah. The Tory Party have been in power for a very long time. They've had opportunity after opportunity to change this, but they haven't gone down that no. avenue. Well, if anything, it's got worse. The asylum system used to work a lot better um, before this latest kind of 13 years of Tory rule. Um, they were deporting far more people under the Tony Blair government than they are now. Well, yeah, I mean, immigration officers used to have a lot of power um, prior to the, the sort of late 1990s. Mm. They were entrusted with, with making these decisions. Uh, and, you know, these are very serious people, well-trained um they could detect a bogus case through interviews uh but now we're outsourcing the system to lawyers who have a vested interest in you know allowing these people to stay here regardless of the you know veracity of their case yeah well there's money in it isn't there uh, dr mike jones good to talk to you thank you very much indeed he's the executive director of migration watch uk coming up uh, we're going to hear from nigel farage he got into a bit of a uh, set two, shall we say, with Nick Robinson from the BBC. We'll find out how that went. Uh, and I'm going to give you a little clue. Not very well for Mr Robinson, I have to say. Uh, we'll take some calls as well. 0344 499 1000 is the only number you'll need to get at the truth, to tell us the truth as far as you see it, and to give us your opinions that we can pass on to the powers that be. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Alexis in Stratford says, Hi Mike, the lawyers are not bogus. They are legitimate licensed solicitors who should be investigated for fraud and deliberately and knowingly lying to the court. They should be prosecuted and struck off. I couldn't uh, actually agree more. Uh, Chris in Horsham says, By 10pm today, I fully expect to see Nigel Farage announced as the new chair of NatWest. It's a funny old world. Uh, it's very true, actually. Alan says, I agree 100% with Mike Graham's comments this morning. Ray, the Today programme and the BBC in general. The list of BBC presenters that I loathe grows day by day. And my extortionate TV licence fee pays to make these people wealthy. Well, you know when you see uh, the ridiculous... Um, 
um, list of highly paid members of the BBC, uh, including, of course, Hugh Edwards, who was the fourth highest paid uh, when his name came out uh, in that story just a few weeks ago. Um, but the numbers of people who are making sort of 300,000 plus who are simply newsreaders. I mean, they're terribly condescending and they occasionally speak with words that they've made up all by themselves without reading a script. But by the way, they would not get that kind of money in any other broadcasting organisation because they're not very good for want of a better word. And that is the problem for the BBC. And the other problem for the BBC is that they now believe uh, that they are in some way activists. Look at the climate editor, the guy who flew off to Alicante to check and to see whether the weather was, was as hot as he was saying it was. When he found out it wasn't, uh, he went somewhere else. Look at the state of the business editor, Simon Jack, who's told by the CEO of NatWest a story which turns out not to be true and he publishes it anyway and then takes two weeks to apologise in a very mealy-mouthed and pompous way. I mean, look at the story from uh, the World Cup, the Women's World Cup, where um, a World Service reporter thought it was a great idea to ask uh, a footballer, a woman, playing for Morocco, whether any of the team were gay despite the fact that if they were, uh, they would probably be arrested because it's illegal to be gay in Morocco. Extraordinary. The number of blunders the BBC makes one week after the next is enough to shut down most organisations. But they're all being paid very well. They're all getting on with it. And in fact, they're getting paid even more each year because, of course, they get commensurately given pay rises because it's almost a public sector organisation. Extraordinary stuff. 0344 Roy says this. Good morning, Mike. Terrific show. Great work. At great risk of having my bank account closed. Can I ask if it is only a fantastic coincidence that all these shyster immigration lawyers are immigrants or descendants of immigrants themselves? Well, it's a good question, uh, Roy. In fact, some people have said that if these people who are running uh, this scam are, in fact, immigration lawyers who have immigrated here from elsewhere, then maybe they should be deported as well. If you want to come here and commit crime, we've got enough criminals homegrown, thanks very much indeed. If you want to come from another country and commit crime, uh, you can hop off and go back from whence you came, is what I would say. Let's talk to David Spencer, Head of Crime and Justice at the Policy Exchange. Speaking of crime and punishment, because um, the police have said, uh, and they claim it's going to happen in September, that they're not going to bother going to mental health call-outs. And apparently an estimated one million hours of police time will be saved by them not doing it. The tricky bit, though, I would say to you, um, David, a very good morning to you, um, is how do you know whether something is going to be a life-threatening situation? Because they say they'll still go to a situation if it's life-threatening. But that could be almost any situation, couldn't it? Well, you're right, Mike, and this needs to be done with great care um, and great thought. And I think what's interesting is this is a uh, process, the right care, right person plan is what they're calling it. Um, this is something that was actually introduced in Humberside a few years ago, and they've been running this program for a couple of years now uh, and have saved thousands and thousands of police hours where officers were doing things that I think you and I would probably agree, actually, are not police work. Um, and they're now able to focus on fighting crime. And um, I think that's what we want to see uh, police officers focused on is actually the fight against crime rather than doing bluntly the NHS's job for them. Yes, absolutely right. Because it does seem to me that whenever you do um, see police operating in the streets, they can often be seen operating around um, what would loosely be described, you know, psychologically unstable people. I mean, I saw an incident 
just the other day, not far from here at London Bridge, and they had uh, handcuffed somebody uh, who was lying on the ground who looked like they might have been with the homeless people who were there. Um, but there was about 10 police officers, you know, about five of them were kind of leaning on various bits of him, um, and a couple of others were standing there sort of watching. But there seemed to be an awful lot of police for one person to be arrested. And I think we're all sympathetic to people that may be having you know, a mental health crisis, who need medical treatment. I don't think any of us would wish that upon you know, friends or family. The reality is that there are times when people are in a situation and you know, maybe a mental health situation uh, where they are being violent or dangerous to others or even to themselves. And that requires forcible police intervention. And the reality of police... Uh, use of forces, it's never pretty, Mike. Mm. It is never pretty. And, you know, the reality is it does take a lot of police officers sometimes to uh, use force to make sure that's done in the safest way possible. And, you know, we've all seen the footage on uh, social media and on the news, but the reality is the use of force by police officers, even when it's done really well, is never a pretty thing. And that's just the reality of policing the front line. Well, no, that's the other big story that's been doing the rounds in London this week. I don't know if you spotted it, of a woman who was kind of put in handcuffs because she failed to pay or was accused of failing to pay a bus fare. Um, and the police have said that, you know, it's distressing to watch the video. Because the other problem for the police is that everybody now films everything. So if the police turn up to do anything, uh, you can see at least four people filming it with a phone. Um, and it doesn't look good. Um, and I don't understand why they had to be quite so heavy handed. But I mean, it's kind of, you know, you're, uh, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? I think that's right. I think it is. And, um, you know, obviously there'll be a, a review of that particular case in Croydon. But the reality is, you know, there is something damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm. You know, police officers were there as a result of an approved operation working with Transport for London officers, revenue protection officers. And the Reverend, I understand the revenue protection officers asked for police assistance. Mm. Police then obviously started to get involved and try and work out what was going on. And obviously it went from there. You know, there is there is a reality if the police are going to be involved in this sort of operation then you know what are they supposed to do are they just supposed to you know allow people to walk off mm. uh, without uh, without any any by your leave yeah. well I've, we, i mean i've also seen i've also seen uh, pieces of video footage that have been filmed in various communities where the police are kind of set upon um, if there aren't enough of them, if there's a couple of them trying to arrest somebody um, and sometimes the local community get involved and start kind of attacking the police and the character gets away. Yeah, I mean, and actually one case really comes to mind from last year where officers uh, detained someone in Leicester Square, hugely violent. It was around the time of, uh, I think, uh, the Queen's funeral. So there was a lot of police officers in London getting ready for that event. And it was the most frightening incident that you can imagine. Mm. Um, members of the public assisting, throwing bikes at the person. Yeah. Large numbers of police officers requiring huge bravery by police officers and members of the mm. public. You know, the reality is that we ask police officers to stand on the front line to protect us from dangerous people. And at times that requires the use of force. Yes. And that will always be the case. What about the, um, the, the, the sort of the soundings that we've been hearing from people like Sir Mark Rowley uh, and others who have said, look, we're going to start attending burglaries. You know, we saw another statistic yesterday where an awful lot of burglaries, I think 600 a day, uh, are not only not solved, but they don't even find 
find a culprit uh, to go after. Um, we keep hearing that they are going to return to that kind of policing, that they're going to attend every burglary that they can. When is that actually going to happen realistically? Well, I think you make a really important point, Mike, is that, um, you know, we've heard all sorts of you know plans, all sorts of reviews, this sort of thing. We hear about this all the time from police forces and from government as well. What police, what the public expect and actually what frontline police officers want to do is actually proper frontline policing, getting into burglaries, getting attended there, investigating every possible avenue when a crime has been committed. That is the basics that we want to see. Mm. And frankly, the time for yet more reports, yet more reviews is over. And the public and frontline police officers are expecting to see a difference on the streets. And until we see a difference on the streets, I'm afraid these reports and these reviews are worth nothing. Mm, absolutely right. David, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. David Spencer, Head of Crime and Justice uh, at the Policy Exchange, on the news that finally in September, uh, the police will refuse to attend incidents involving people's mental health, unless, of course, uh, they think a crime is being committed uh, or indeed there might be some kind of danger uh, to life. I don't know how they're going to work that. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game-changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, but we've got loads more to do. Uh, we'll take many, many more calls. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Quite a pleasant day out there today. It was a little cool uh, as I came out of the house, but the sun is shining. And it's not too windy. Uh, so if you're in London and its environs, you'll probably be thinking... It's a rather pleasant summer's day. If you're in uh, what they're calling the holiday hell of the Mediterranean, of course, it might be slightly different. But what I was saying earlier is that the temperatures in Greece are no hotter uh, than they have ever been. And in fact, the hottest day so far uh, in July this year is only about the 10th hottest day uh, in the history of Greece's heat waves. And uh, an awful lot of them were in 1977. Uh, they had another one in 2021. They had another one in 1973. You know, they've had an awful lot of heat waves and they've had an awful lot of forest fires and they've had an awful lot... Uh, 
of holidays since then. Uh, so we'll keep you updated, of course, on all of that. Uh, coming up, we're going to continue our conversations about the state uh, of the NatWest banking institution, NatWest Bank Group. Uh, currently, the shares still down about 3%, just over 3%, uh, trading at the lowest um, and in the FTSE 100 at the moment as a result of all of the shenanigans that are going on. Uh, Dame Alison Rose, of course, admitted mistakes uh, over the Farage Furore, uh, as we're calling it. Um, she resigned in the very early hours of this morning, just uh, about half a, half a day since the NatWest uh, Bank actually said that they had great uh, confidence in her and they didn't think that she should leave her job despite the fact that she had made a gross error of judgment. It's an extraordinary story. Uh, NatWest are still under the cosh. Nigel Farage is calling for the entire board to be sacked uh, and there's likely to be a meeting sometime this week between uh, a lot of different banks and including um, the government's representative for the shareholders who own of course 30% or thereabouts, 39% I think, uh, of NatWest shares on behalf of taxpayers after we rescued them from a financial crash of 2008. It's extraordinary. Let's talk to Annabelle Denham, who's Deputy Comment Editor at The Telegraph. Annabelle, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. This story is quite unbelievable. I know that we've been dealing with it now for a couple of weeks, but it's finally taken, I think, until today for Keir Starmer to say something about it. But NatWest have got absolutely everything wrong, and I think that's the thing that staggers me the most. You know, it's not so much that, uh, that Dame Rose actually resigned finally uh, or was asked to quit, but the fact that every single step of the way, when they could have got it right, they got it wrong. That's right. I think banks, I'm afraid, Mike, have a pretty long history of terrible PR. Uh, it certainly goes back to the global financial crisis. And I think one of the ways in which they tried to deal with that was this focus on things like ESG and DNI and essentially trying to become ideological entities rather than financial mm. ones in some attempt to restore their reputations. But of course, all that has done is led us to the situation that we are currently in. And I don't think, you know, it's necessarily going to be limited to Nat West. I think the resignation of Alison Rose as CEO of the bank uh, throws up as many questions as it answers. You know, how wide does this go? How many people have been affected by this? We know, of course, about Nigel Farage because he is, uh, you know, such a public uh, person with a big profile who is able to raise awareness. But mm. how many other people have been debanked on account of views that they hold that are probably quite mainstream, but are viewed by some people working at banks as bigoted. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, there needs to be some kind of thorough investigation into all of this, led by the government, which actually does provide, I think, a, a rare political opportunity for Rishi Sunak. He needs to get out there now and really make it clear to the British public that this is not acceptable. It's not something the Conservative Party are going to stand for, that they're going to review the legislation that was brought in uh, that led to our, led us into this situation um, and to make absolutely clear that people cannot be financially excluded in this way on account of views that they might hold. No, exactly right. But also there's sort of insidiousness about all of it as well in the way that the wokists have kind of inveigled their way into p positions of power. I mean, we heard this morning um, that she was also a member uh, of some committee in the net zero department of the government. She was an advisor to Downing Street in that capacity and in another capacity to Rishi Sunak in some other role. And, you know, suddenly you think to yourself, well, this woman was put in charge of NatWest, not because of her um, alacrity and her brilliance at banking, but because she was vowing to make it less sexist and more inclusive. And, you know, they've taken their eye off the ball to such an extent that they've forgotten what they're supposed to actually do for a living. 
That's absolutely right. It's so pervasive now, Mike. After Alison Rose was appointed the first female chief executive of RBS in 2019, she announced that tackling climate change would be a central pillar of her leadership. Yeah. Not, you know, trying to maximise returns for shareholders, do uh, the best that she possibly could for her clients, but actually focus, you know, almost relentlessly on issues like climate change. Um, and I think this is, you know, not exclusive to banking, far from it. I think we have woke corporations up and down the uh, the country now. In fact, we have them across the West where things like um, having a social purpose, governance, diversity, inclusion, all of these sorts of issues are being made primary at the expense of actually making a profit. And, you know, it was the great economist Milton Friedman who came up with the Friedman uh, doctrine, which holds that social the social responsibility of business is to increase mm. its profit. And in doing so, businesses are bringing social purpose. And that is really what they ought to be focusing on now, rather than becoming so fixated on all of these other areas. Now, I have to say that the government needs to be held to account for this as well, because a lot of the time businesses are responding to the regulatory frameworks in which they operate, where they are ranked and judged according to how well they perform in areas like uh, diversity and all of these sort of arms length bodies that have, have developed over the last few years that are incentivizing this kind of behavior mm. and we need a complete uh, correction now and i suppose one hope that we can have from this natwest saga is that it finally brings one about but you know we've got to ask you know how it is that they've been captured mm. like this by woke ideologies we need to ask um you know why it was that the board was supporting Alison Rose until very recently um you know what what about the Coots board as opposed to the Nat West board mm. because Coots is separate corporate and a separately incorporated bank with its own banking license. Um, and I suppose there is also a question as to why it is that Alison Rose resigned. Was it um, because um, they had debanked Nigel Farage or was it actually because she breached confidentiality? Mm. Because those are two separate issues and it's actually very important that we get to get to the bottom of it. So I think, you know, it's incredible really in some ways that this story has been running since the end of June. Yeah. Uh, Nigel Farage first made clear to the world that he had been uh, debanked. Um, but I think actually it's still got a long way to go. Oh, I think so. Because let's face it, if it wasn't for Nigel Farage actually announcing that it had happened, we probably still wouldn't know about it. Because ever since that day, we've learned from all sorts of people that it's happened to them as well. I was listening last night to um, uh, Ed Vasey, who was on first edition, talking about various MPs that he knows who have had problems with their banks because they're MPs and that their families have had problems because they're related to an MP. You know, and they're using these kind of political, um, rather loose worded kind of, uh, uh, you know, constructs to say, well, you might be a person at risk and we might think that you are uh, a person. And most of them seem to be um, those who you would regard as slightly on the right. You know, so so the idea that this committee that, that she set up, that, that Dame uh, Rose set up, the, um, the Wealth and Reputational Risk Committee or whatever it's called, surely that should be disbanded and they should say we no longer are able to do these kinds of dossiers on people um, because she, as you say, may have broken data protection laws. She certainly broke confidentiality. Um, she may have even broken a European law, which apparently re uh, um, recommends that you cannot stop somebody from having a bank account based on their political beliefs. So, so she might have even actually broken real laws. 
we, I mean, we just don't know what we don't know at this stage. But like I say, I think we, you know, there's going to be a lot more that that, that does um, come out. And there's clearly a fundamental flaw with these um, PEP regulations, you know, mm. as is so often the case, we've introduced a law. Um, that law has been misused. The unintended consequences uh, weren't foreseen. Um, and it probably hasn't even achieved what it set out to do to begin with. But as I say, I think it's been massively uh, abused. It's interesting, you know, this this wealth and reputational risk committee at the bank um, that didn't seem to fully appreciate how risky it would be um, to treat Nigel Farage like mm. this. There was some awareness at the bank, I believe, um, that he was uh, had a big public profile. That he he might you know he goes out on social media. Uh, he has his own television show. That he might uh, make this public, but they didn't seem to regard that as a, as the threat that it quite clearly was going to be. So I think. There's, yes, I imagine there's a lot of head scratching going on. Um, and to go back to your original point, I think you know, banks have just been very bad at communications and public relations. Mm. This is one example of that. Yeah. And just going back to our own sort of shareholding in it, I mean, was that ever supposed to be open-ended? Was it supposed to be a shareholding that we, we got the money back out of at some point? I mean, what's the status of that, as far as you know? Well, obviously, um, it's still nearly 40% owned by essentially the British public. Mm. Um, it was uh, 80% after um, the global financial crisis. The idea, of course, is that um, the British public will own less and less um, of of the bank. Um, and, you know, it's not exactly being held accountable to us. Um, I think that actually it put the government in a very difficult position mm. um, where it wasn't sure whether it should be intervening or not because, you know, 40% of the bank was state-owned. What kind of uh, communication was it ha having with the board or to, to have been more involved or less? It seemed not to want to um, have any interference in this matter. Um, and I think that that has added another layer of complexity to it. But no, you're right. There's a question about, you know, who they are accountable to, uh, how much, you know, of this bank ought to be state owned, or should we just mm. have let, let let it go bust after the global financial crisis? What is has it actually delivered? What has it achieved uh, for the British public in the intervening period? Um, and I think there's a wider question about what the purpose of banks are, mm. uh, is at the moment. Um, because it seems with ever mounting regulations that all they're doing is taking an extremely risk-averse position uh, and doing a lot of box ticking. Mm. And are they actually delivering, you know, the profits they could be and the shareholder returns that they could be? Um, or um, have they just been so coward that essentially they're just sort of living from one day to the mm. next? So no, I think there's so many questions that need to be asked uh, about that as well. Exactly right. One of the things they did achieve was uh, in 19, uh, sorry, in 2021, uh, December the 13th, they were fined £265 million for failing to stop drugs gangs from laundering bin bags stuffed with cash through a variety of branches up and down the country. So, I mean, they haven't even been doing their proper due diligence on those accounts, never mind, you know, stopping politicians from being able to operate. No, that's right. And it's all this money laundering uh, regulations. It's KYC, know your customer, know your client uh, regulations, a lot of which we've inherited from uh, the US. But mm. that fee 
into uh, these PEP regulations. And, you know, like I say, they, they just don't seem to be uh, being enforced where they should be. They're not acting as a, as a significant enough deterrent. So we do get examples of you know, massive money laundering or fraud. Um, and yet it's also at the same time being abused by certain staff who are working within these sorts of institutions um, and have uh, maybe are setting the terms of contracts and how see an opportunity in which they are able to debank um, or see stop somebody from being a customer if that person does not hold the views that they deem to be uh, you know appropriate the right views and uh, you know, this is this is just an absolutely massive problem now that we have um, in the British economy and we wonder why it is that we've got very low growth why we've got very low productivity well the answer or at least one of the answers is that we have so many people who are either adhering to regulations or pushing for more regulations we have ever expanding hr departments you know we have people who seem to believe that the the moral purpose that they might have and ha retaining the moral high ground is more important than trying to to, to you know than the bottom line and trying to get a profit mm. and it's such a big problem. It really is. Stay with us, Annabelle, if you would. We've got some more things to talk about, including uh, record numbers of children who are apparently homeless uh, in England, according to a report. And what about the rise of the net zero uh, backlash and how that's going to go, particularly in business? This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. We're talking to Annabel Denham, Deputy Comment Editor of The Telegraph. An interesting piece uh, in the paper today from Daniel Hannan, uh, Annabel, and we'll get to the uh, the homeless children in, in England in a moment. But, but he's written a piece in which he says Britain is now a poor nation. This is the number one issue we face. What does he mean by that? Well, I mean, I'm afraid to say that he's absolutely right. So our average living standards are now lower than those in the least affluent US state. Uh, Slovenes are taking us and Poles are not far behind. You know, Britain is becoming a much poorer country as a consequence of essentially bad government mismanagement mm. by successive uh, governments, increasing regulation, uh, stagnant economic growth, stagnant productivity. Um, and, you know, it, as we talked about before, Mike, part of it is just this obsession with ideology, with morality, with virtue signalling um, at the cost of spending time delivering profits and, uh, you know, in the bottom line. Um, and I think since Dan wrote his piece, we've had obviously the news about the Cambridge Arc and the government's intention to build hundreds of thousands of more homes uh, by the end of this parliament. Look, I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. How many times before have we heard uh, Tory ministers stand up and say that they're going to um, set house building targets and actually meet them? They failed to, and that's led to a massive increase in the cost of house houses. Um, it's led to the average age of a first-time buyer increasing from around 29 in the 1990s to around 32, 33 today, you know, it has significant economic and social uh, impacts. It makes it very difficult. And this is why it's so important in places like Cambridge and Oxford 
makes it very hard for innovative startup businesses to find things like lab space in order that they can uh, grow and develop new products um, and secure more investment and you know that virtuous cycle. Um, so it's you know it's massively problematic. Um, and you know the response from one local Tory MP, Anthony Brown, to the news um, that the government would be meet, trying to set and meet these house building targets um, was that he uh, he said he would um, do everything he could to block it. Uh, he said that there wasn't enough uh, water. Well, the answer to there not being enough water to build more homes, Mike, is to build more reservoirs. Mm. But of course, you can't do that in Britain either. I mean, we haven't built a reservoir since, since about the 1990s, yeah. not one on a large scale. Um, we can't build desalination plants because they don't adhere to our eco-green uh, agenda. I think there's only one uh, in the country at the moment, um, and I'm not sure it's even open. Um, so, you know, this is we are the country of the industrial revolution mm. um, and yet here our living standards are slipping we are so far behind uh, countries like the US but also countries like um, Australia today Australians produce in real terms $8,000 more than their British counterparts um, and you know it, it's only going to get worse and unless we have a serious you know rethink about uh, our economy about how big the state ought to be um, unless we have a serious rethink about areas of government spending like the NHS, which, uh, you know, in 2000 was responsible for 27 percent of day to day government spending and is now responsible for 44 percent. Um, unless we drop the fixation with things like uh, net zero, it's all very well having a plan to decarbonize, but why do we need an arbitrary target by 2050? We don't. Mm. And having one is guaranteed uh, to mean that it's centrally planned, that it's costly, uh, and that we end up with socialist measures and things like the SNP insisting that perhaps homes are going to have to have a heat pump mm. in order to be sold you know total invasion of property rights so um you know there are so many problems that may be introduced with the best of intentions but are actually uh leading to essentially lower living standards for people in britain than than you know compared with other western or developed nations yes. yeah because interestingly he makes a comparison with the, the united states in which he says basically if britain was a state in america it would be bottom of the league table of states in terms of its wealth, in terms of its uh, economy. Um, and he talks about Douglas Carswell, a, a guy that we both know, uh, who moved to Mississippi to open up a think tank, uh, who found actually um, there was a higher standard of living in Mississippi, which is the, the worst ranking state in the nation, uh, than, than there is here. And I mean, I can't believe quite what you've just said. I know that it's true, but... It seems extraordinary, doesn't it, that the, the government is spending so much money on the NHS and yet the NHS has actually got substantially worse uh, since they've been giving it more money. Um, the government has never been bigger. They've never spent more public money on things. And yet there is a sense in this country that nothing works. No, that's right. You have to ask what we are getting for pouring more and more money into the public sector. And it's not just government spending, which, of course, is just ticking up and up and up. Mm. It's not just the national debt, which is now over 100 percent of GDP, but it's also government consumption. So it's government, the government using resources that could be used by the private sector um, and using them, we know, less efficiently. Um, and this is sort of one side of this argument that we don't really hear politicians talk about at all. Mm. Um, um, but it's it's absorbing, it's using, it's soaking up all of these really important resources, driving up costs for the private sector, just ever more, you know, squeezing.
squeezing the wealth creators in this country. Taxes are set to hit, you know, the, their highest um, since the end of the Second World War. Mm. Um, and, you know, in every direction that you look, um, it's just the private sector being hammered in order to support a public sector that seems to be, you know, crumbling. And I think there are so many reasons for this. But one problem is that we have a government at the moment that is simply trying to do too much. Its tentacles are reaching into every aspect of our lives. And it's got to have a fundamental rethink about the areas in which we, we really should be spending. You know, I personally um, think that we ought to be spending more on defence. But we can't spend more on defence if we're ring, essentially ring fencing spending on the NHS and seem to have widely accepted that that spending needs to keep going up and up because we have a demographic time bomb ticking. Um, you know, I, sim I simply don't think that that is the case and we need to allow more market forces within healthcare. Um, but you're right, you know, and Dan Hanan is right that Americans, may, you know, they may as well be living on a different planet to Brits now. The gap in output per person between Britain and America is twice as large as the gap between Britain and Romania. It has pulled so far ahead of Britain that, you know, it's almost pointless trying to draw any kind of comparisons. So we've got to look at, you know, internationally, we've got to look at best practice. Um, generally, we're okay at doing that, apart from in healthcare. We simply will not countenance the idea that there are social insurance systems on the continent where, uh, you know, there is universal healthcare. People are not shut out of uh, mm. access to healthcare in the way that they are in the US, um, when where outcomes are better. Because if we don't improve the NHS, the other side to this, of course, is the number of people who are long-term sick and that's gone up significantly yeah. since before the pandemic we have seven and a half million people on the waiting list we have doctors who are persistently going on strike because they don't think a six percent pay increase uh, is credible people are not able to get treatment that they need for long-term illnesses uh mental health is another time bomb that's just ticking away when you know any minute it's going to go off um and if we can't get people well if we can't get them back into the workforce if we can't fill the million vacancies that there currently are and loosen our labor market then we're, we're just simply not going to get growth maybe we should just emigrate that might be the answer um well i mean we could emigrate uh we, we've always been warned aren't we that uh certainly uh, NHS professionals are going to get, perhaps get trained here and then move to Australia mm. where they can have higher pay and a better quality of life. Well, you know, one response to that is that we ought to have a labour market within healthcare so that we can encourage those people to go and work in uh, areas where there are acute shortages, acute shortages in particular speciality, uh, specialties of medicine mm. um, and pay those people more money. But we can't do that because we've got very rigid pay structures uh, across the healthcare service. But no, I think that... You know, we are perhaps returning to a situation that we haven't seen in decades where there's going to be massive talent and capital flight mm. because people are simply not willing uh, to be squeezed and squeezed with the taxes they pay and be seeing less and less uh, in terms of what they get for it. And if the Labour Party do come in and if they want to commit to some of the plans that they've um, been trailing over recent months, then I don't see how they're going to afford it, apart from to introduce some kind of wealth tax, some kind of tax on assets. And if they do that, then then we will be in real trouble because it's very easy for people to move from one jurisdiction to another.
other now, especially the super wealthy, to move to somewhere that there's a more favourable tax regime. Um, and they will they will do that if they feel as though it, it's too unfavourable, the mm. circumstances here. Yeah, absolutely right. Annabelle, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Annabelle Denham, Deputy Comment Editor at The Telegraph, painting a rather dismal picture uh, of the Britain that we currently reside in. Um, it's hard not to um, agree with absolutely all of that. Daniel Hannan has gone to America, discovered that uh, we, if we were an American state, would be one of the poorest, well, the poorest in the entire union. And it is a terrible state of affairs to have a government that spends so much of our money, that taxes us so much, and yet can't seem to make anything work properly. Is that the real problem here? Jonathan Gullis is coming next. He's a Tory MP. We'll find out from him what he would propose to do about it. And much else besides the world of boat, the world of woke, not the world of boke. That's something else. Uh, this is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Uh, how about this from Caroline? She says, morning, Mike. I can't believe either of those Montecito residents have ever mowed a lawn in their lives. I did mine yesterday, and as a real woman, I can tell you I hate doing it, and usually my husband does it, but he's working away at the moment. Very stereotypical, I know, but I don't actually care. Well, listen, Caroline, congratulations. It is it's a pain in the neck. I mean, I don't mow my own lawn, uh, only because in London I haven't got one, um, but I have got one somewhere else, and I don't do it there either because that's what you've got children for. They mow the lawn, uh, or somebody else does. I don't, because uh, I'm far too tired by the time I get to the end of the week uh, to do stuff like that. Um, coming up, we're going to have the world of work. But before that, uh, we should just uh, tell you about a story that many of you have highlighted to me on social media, and that is this uh, huge cargo ship which is on fire in the North Sea. Apparently there's one sailor dead, 23 people evacuated uh, from this burning ship, which is 18,500 tonnes. It's carrying 3,000 cars, and it was sent from Germany to Egypt but the belief is that the reason it's on fire is because there was an electric car on there which basically spontaneously combusted and has caused a massive problem uh, off the Dutch coast. The Coast Guard say uh, that the, the cause is believed to have been an electric vehicle catching light. Um, most of the people who have been uh, wounded have been taken off now and they've been airlifted off by helicopter. Uh, as of midday the ship was said to be burning out of control in the North Sea. Rescue vessels are working to save it from sinking close to an important habitat. So it's a pretty awful story. Uh, we'll keep you informed. There's some pictures I'm looking at here. Uh, 18,500 ton uh, carrying vessel, which had almost 3,000 vehicles on board. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll keep you in touch with that throughout the course of the day. And if it was an electric car that spontaneously combusted, well, that's even more reason why um, these kinds of things should be very, very uh, cautiously approached, shall we say. You know, because we've seen electric bikes going up in flames. We've been told don't put electric scooters in your house. Do not charge them overnight because they can burst into flames. More net zero madness, it seems to me. But let's now do the world of woke. The world of woke. Now, we were just talking about the NHS and how much money the government has been putting into it and how useless the NHS has become as a result of having more money than it's ever had. But if you thought the NHS was ridiculous and if you thought that they had too much diversity, too many net zero champions and too many Twitter accounts and too many people who just didn't do anything medical... We've now got an organisation called NHS Horizons. And NHS Horizons apparently is a health service training unit uh, which basically helps people to do the jobs that they do within the NHS. And there's a woman by the name of Helen Bevan 
who's come up with what can only be described as the most ridiculous idea I think I've ever heard, even for the NHS. The idea is that you should wear a poncho, but not just any poncho. It has to be a gratitude poncho. Now, what on earth is a gratitude poncho, I hear you ask? Well, I'll tell you. A gratitude poncho is a poncho that you wear that people write things on. Now, supposedly in the NHS, because everyone's kind and nice, they write nice things on the poncho. And according to Helen, she says, as a facilitator, I'm always looking out for activities to energise groups in workshops or teams. Here's one that's new to me called gratitude ponchos. It enables team members to find out what their colleagues most appreciate about them. And I think this would be most effective with a mature team where most people know each other. So basically, um, the true essence of a um, gratitude poncho is that you write things on somebody's poncho like, you're my hero and you're brilliant and thank you and God bless you. Well, that may not be allowed because it's got a reference to God. But I mean, it really is. People draw apparently smiley faces on them. Sometimes even a tear or two. And this, of course, is all due, uh, supposed to uh, raise awareness for your friends that you work with. And it's supposed to make sure that you are loved in your work. Well, why don't you just get on with doing the job instead of wearing a gratitude poncho? I said to Kevin O'Sullivan this morning that if he put one on, uh, or I did, people might write some things which weren't quite so nice. You never know. But you've got to be honest, haven't you? No point in having a gratitude poncho if you're not going to be honest. But these are the most ridiculous things that clog up the NHS. It's why the NHS doesn't work, because everybody's so busy going around trying to make sure they all appreciate each other. I mean, it really is quite extraordinary and ridiculous and more infantilization of people. If you work in the NHS, just do your job, right? That's the world of woke. The world of woke. Rod says this, Mike, how many woke banking executives are now clearing the hard drives of incriminating files held on customers with the wrong view? Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to talk to somebody now that Coots probably thinks has got the wrong view. Jonathan Gullis, MP uh, for Stoke-on-Trent North. Jonathan, a very good afternoon to you. Hey, good to see you, Mike. I'm I'm still recovering from the gratitude poncho. Like, I, just, <laughs> I just, if you don't laugh, you'll cry, right? It really I, is. I, just, I mean, it's astonishing. It's any wonder, you know, that these priorities at the NHS are all bleeding wrong, you know. But but I mean, I suppose we've got to talk about the NatWest situation. Hard to believe that a banking organisation which is internationally renowned and supposedly knows what it's doing could make this many mistakes in such a short period of time, isn't it? I mean, I'm flabbergasted, to be perfectly honest with you, Mike, about how serious the breach has been here. And the fact that we had the CEO basically confess to having privately given away the details of Nigel Farage's bank account, yeah. which then turned out to also be a complete lie. Right. It's just truly shocking. And I'm someone who's been a NatWest customer my entire life from yeah. when I was a teenager. I opened up my first bank account and I called for Dame Allison to have to go because I lost confidence in her. I also think the board, quite frankly, needs to also go, having been willing to prop her up potentially after obviously realising that it was just too untenable right. uh, within four hours of them trying to pretend that they could get through this. It's just absolutely shocking and abhorrent. And it actually just goes to show that when people complain that there are institutions, the establishment, people like you and I you say these things, Mike, and we get derided on Twitter for you know pushing some sort of cultural, but actually what we have here is proof. Proof that 
the elite establishments are literally trying to censor or trying to silence or trying to ostracize people who don't hold the views that they deem because they think they're some sort of morality police the views that they deem to be uh, socially acceptable mm. to twitter without realising that Twitter is not representative of our United Kingdom. No, exactly right. And even more shocking uh, than the decision last night by Nat West to keep her, um, because that, as I say, was the sort of final ignominy for me, for her to admit to something which could technically actually be a breach of the law, never mind a breach of confidentiality. She might have broken all sorts of data protection laws. She might have broken some other European law, apparently. Um, but even more shocking was that she's apparently been an advisor in Downing Street on the Net Zero Climate Change uh, Committee, uh, and also uh, as some other kind of committee uh, sitting in with, with Rishi Sunak. So what we now learn is that these places uh, uh, of, of sort of, you know, the lefty establishment, as I would call them, which I didn't think was going to include banks, have got their fingers into all sorts of pies um, and are helping governments to make decisions. Well, I'm very pleased to hear that the Prime Minister has removed Dame Allison from his uh, board. And I think uh, the Grand Shaps has also confirmed mm. that she's no longer there either, which is which is good news because it would be totally wrong for her to now maintain a place and try and advise the government, particularly when, you, like you say, she would be privy to some very uh, private conversations regarding strategy going forward to achieve net zero, hopefully, as I, you and I would say, Mike, at the very least done in a sensible time frame where this technology is actually uh, reliable, actually delivers mm. what we want, and more importantly, the infrastructure is actually ready to cope with the sudden change to what we want to see. And, you know, I'm someone who's advocating for us to actually push back to at least what is happening in the European Union and America for the 2035 deadline on internal combustion engines. Yeah. And I do hope the government will also make a big move to actually, by the way, approve hydrogen combustion and make those zero uh, counter zero yeah. uh, net zero uh, energy thing, uh, contributors, because obviously that's happened in the European Union. I'm blessed in Staffordshire to be, uh, as a Staffordshire MP, to be home to JCB, mm. where they actually have got hydrogen combustion engines in their diggers, in their tractors on sites right now. So... That would be a big uh, boost for UK productivity and for UK manufacturing, most importantly. Yes. But yeah, you are right. The the establishment here is, just, I mean, to read the stuff, because Nigel is a Brexiteer, because Nigel is friends with Novak Djokovic. I mean, I mean what on earth is going on? Who does it matter to a bank who you're friends with? At the end of the day, as long as you've got, you meet all the requirements, you legally, obviously, uh, are putting money into your account, and you're legally doing uh, everything within the law uh, set out as a customer, then the bank should, should too follow yeah. the law as well. What on earth do they think they're exactly doing? Exactly right. But also we've now been told by other banking groups, including Barclays and HSBC and Lloyds, <clears throat> that they will, if somebody complains about you, check out what your social media profile is and the sorts of things you might say on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. And I just think that that is way beyond any remit that any bank should ever have. No company, no no bank has a right to determine what you, I, or anyone else says on our Facebook is mm. worthy of us having a bank account. That any bank thinking that they do, then quite simply, they should we should be considering whether they're allowed to even trade in this country because we are protectors of free speech. We believe in democracy. This is the kind of nutty stuff that you see in China or Russia mm. or other despot uh, countries with dictatorships. This is not the type of thing I expect in a democratic, free society. Uh, as we have in the United Kingdom. And I think it's completely abhorrent that a bank is determined because they don't like your views on certain issues. And like you say, Mike, I'm sure you and I are 
probably the firing line at some stage yeah. here for having uh, views, you know, which doesn't please Twitter, but actually... Yeah, listen, I mean, I'm, I'm like you. Like Snow Trends. Every, every day when I go into my bank account, I start. I, I expect to be blocked from getting into it, you know, because <laughs> I just figure, that how come they haven't got around to me yet? But, but apparently an awful lot of MPs who I would consider to be moderate... MPs have had these problems and their families have had problems because they're MPs. Well, exactly. And I think oh, what's really been shocking, some of the stories where grandchildren of Nigel Lawson have even yeah. been having issues. I mean, what on earth is going on here? And what I was really disappointed about today, uh, to be honest with you, Mike, was Nick Thomas Simmons, the Labour shadow minister, going on the media round earlier this morning, was on the side of the banks, was on the side of Dame Allison, was saying that she was somehow... Uh, you know, uh, a victim of some sort of uh, campaign by the Prime Minister, the Chancellor and Conservative members of Parliament. So instead of siding with the actual facts based in reality and the fact that Dame Allison herself had accepted her culpability in the behaviour, uh, you know, they were siding. And it's taken now Keir Starmer two hours later yeah. to perform another Labour flip-flop to come out and say now he does side uh, with obviously the right. fact that Dame Allison should have resigned and that he th- he feels sorry for Nigel Farage. I mean, it's just embarrassing for the Labour Party, a day when all politicians from across the political divide should be united and mm. call this stuff up. Because believe me, if it can happen to Nigel Farage, it can happen to anyone in the Labour Party yeah. as well. Well, this is it. And I mean, it's the first time Keir Starmer said anything about it. It's taken him three weeks to utter anything at all. Uh, and it's all a bit sort of mealy mouth. Let's just talk before we let you go, Jonathan, about this ridiculous scandal uh, surrounding some of these immigration law firms and how people supposedly who have been now fired, but nothing else seems to have happened to them, charging 10,000 quid to fake asylum claims, all on the British taxpayer, legal aid funded, um, getting people to, to, to live here and to lie about their circumstances in order to do so. I mean, surely people should be getting prosecuted here, shouldn't they? Well, Mike, how many times have you and I said that there are lefty do-gooder lawyers gaming the system to help these yeah. bogus assumption claims? And how many times have we been told, particularly by the Labour Party politicians in the Houses of Parliament, this is just a scare tactic, there's no facts whatsoever to say about it, and then yet here we are. The truth is that this type of stuff is going on. Mm. These people should be barred from practising law. They should indeed be facing the law. They've, li- they've assisted clients in lying to the government about a fo- uh, asylum claim, so they should obviously face the full force of the law and perhaps be put on a flight to Rwanda themselves, ultimately, in order to, uh, you know, if they really want to understand what mm. it's like, then they can experience the uh, the travel over there. But ultimately, and also, what annoys me is Labour Party yet again coming out, Mike, saying that Stephen Kinnock, you know, whose ego is so massive, it's amazing he fits in the House of Parliament. <laughs> but he's out there saying, oh, Labour has got a plan, we're going to process people quicker. How does processing yeah, yeah. people... Well, there's no point to that. I mean, they keep saying, oh, we're going to process people in France. You go, well, that's fine. So then they'll still come illegally if you say that they can't come. You've got to stop them from coming by other means, it seems to me. But also, what about the Bar Council having a go at Rishi Sunak uh, for bringing what they say is politics into the debate? It turns out that the guy who's critical of the Prime Minister um, is Sam Townend, KC, who's a Labour Party councillor and who has twice stood for the Labour Party as a, a candidate for Parliament and both times lost. You know, and he's accusing the, gov- the, the government and the Prime Minister of politicising the argument. Well, isn't it ironic that when uh, Keir Starmer was trying to make some abhorrent claims about Rishi Sunak not wanting to lock up child yeah, abusers, yeah. These are the same people who stayed silent. In fact, they said it was fair game. Mm. And then when Rishi Sunak rightly points out that Labour voted over 72 times to block the illegal migration bill, have no plan to actually stop the boats, are quite happy and have been arguing in the past for free movement, as Keir Starmer was so desperate for by wanting a second referendum and saying he would mm. campaign for Remain. You know, the fact that these people, like you say, the Bar Council, now suddenly trying to virtue signal and say, oh, isn't it nasty that Rishi points out facts? 
is absolutely laughable. And the fact they're trying to use the branding of the organisation to hide their own party political intent here is also abhorrent and shocking. And instead of getting their knickers in a twist, they should actually just realise that they are on the wrong side of the British people. The fact that 61% of people think immigration to this country is too high. They should perhaps realise that the Prime Minister is trying to do all he can. It's lefty lawyer do-gooders like uh, that fellow that you mentioned. I forgot his name, but hopefully we'll never have to remember it anyway. Should actually get out of the way and allow the government to enact the policies that the British people elected it to do, which was to take back control of our laws and our borders. I think it's utterly shameful. And he's obviously a serial loser mm. when he keeps running for Parliament. So I'm sure if he comes and runs in places like North Staffordshire and he yeah. tries to tell everyone that we should let everyone in and process people quicker, I'm sure he'll be a three for three when it comes to I getting mean, He must be one of the most unpopular people in Britain. I mean, he runs as a Labour candidate in uh, Bristol and not winning. You kind of go, sorry, how did that happen? You know, they need to fight another one. But anyway, Jonathan, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Jonathan Gullis, MP for Stoke-on-Trent North, uh, a proper constituency where people elect people like Jonathan Gullis, a man who knows uh, what he's talking about and a man uh, who should be uh, also on one of the blacklists at Coots, no doubt. Uh, but he doesn't have a Coots bank account. He's got Nat West one. 03444991000. Graham says this, if you work in the NHS and have been or, or are on strike for more money and believe the NHS is underfunded, then take your gratitude poncho off, give your head a wobble, get back to work and do your job. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.